0: Welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. Weird, super weird, more (laughs) sing-song, but also more ominous than usual for me.
1: And I'm Dante Bosco. The same Dante Bosco. The same way. (laughs) And today, we're back to book one of The Last Airbender, talking about episode 17, The Northern Air Temple.
0: Yeah, and this is very exciting because this friend of ours who is going to be joining us is a very iconic person in many things that many people hold dear. Whether it's his on-camera work in films and television or his fantastic voice work in shows like Star Trek Prodigy and Big Mouth, he also happens to be a huge Avatar fan, so I'm excited to hear how it felt to revisit the Northern Air Temple. Please welcome my longtime buddy, Jason Manzukis.
2: Here's what I'm going to say, JV and Dante first of all thank you for having me thrilled to be here to talk about one of my favorite pieces of things I, you know as you talked or introduced me like i'm a fan of so many things in this show and of course Cora too that i'm like deeply passionate and just absolutely adore and love
1: i'm fascinated to see how you came in in contact with the show i'm
2: trying to think what first i maybe watched a couple of episodes of the cartoon just to be like what is this yeah but it wasn't until years later that I actually went and, like, sought it out to be like, oh, you know what? might have been Filoni. It might have been—I mm-hmm. might have gone back to Avatar having sense. done Clone Wars or yeah. when I—at some at some point inside of that, I think—and then have since we watched it a bunch, you know? And so when you assigned me this, which is episode 17 of season one, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch—I started at episode one and watched all the way to seventeen. I was love like, it. what? I'm gonna watch all of it. I'm gonna watch everything love just it. to remind myself how we got to the events of episode yes. 17, you know? Yes. And there were it. a bunch of episodes that I was like, wow, I do not remember this, or I don't remember this moment, or and I don't know if it's just having now seen it in its totality, I'm picking up things. That are seated early that I wasn't clocking or whatever, but it is. I assume your fans are watching along with you. It is such a delight to rewatch and reengage with this series. So yeah, I was so thrilled. I got up early. I, I watched a bunch uh, yesterday, and then this morning I woke up. I made a pot of coffee and I watched cartoons uh, like in the morning, like I was a kid on Saturday mornings. It was great.
0: Amazing. I want to imagine you putting the coffee into a cereal bowl yeah, and can, using the toast. Do a bowl of yep. cereal? The Lucky Charms coffee. or the yes.
2: The golden grams or anything. Put coffee in my Honey Nut Cheerios? Absolutely. (laughs) Honey (laughs) Nut Cheerios? Because that's what grown do, yo. Like it's an 80s movie, and I'm a guy who can't keep his act together, so he he has the cereal, but he doesn't have the milk, so he uses, like, olive oil?
0: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) My shorthand for that is always, instead of a record, there's a pizza on the record player. That feels like the quintessential screwball 80s guy. Oh, man. Uh,
2: And that's a good way to ruin a good needle.
0: That's right. That's a perfectly good needle. Not to mention the pizza. Don't get me started. Alright, so we are talking about the Northern Air Temple. We um, this are. This is a very fun one. Very briefly, what we know about this episode. Aang discovers e- these Earth Kingdom civilians have moved into this Northern Air Temple that they've been looking for. In fact, he even thinks for a second they're going to be airbenders. We know now that they're not. There's a lot that has changed about the Northern Air Temple when they get there. This episode was written by Elizabeth Welch he has. and was directed by the great Dave Filoni, and I know we say this, Bosco, every time, but a lot happens in this episode. A lot of big questions. A lot of, from my perspective, and we'll get to this, if ever you wondered if Aang could forgive someone easily, he gives the machinist a big break super quick. Yeah, (laughs) like He lets it go fast, considering what that guy has done, but we'll we'll get to that. Also,
2: considering how much Aang has put into the potential that there would be people here and there is so much the lead-up is so powerful and the disappointment is so crushing and then the betrayal just feels absolutely brutal
1: absolutely right and also his friendship gave him a little bit of a heads up like hey like oh it's like come on let the man know i mean i thought there was gonna be nothing so at least to see something was pretty exciting
2: What was interesting to me was I felt like only here did I realize, like, the roots of so much of the stuff that is inside of Korra, all of the dirigibles and the flying machines are so much based on this, I believe, this guy's technology. Yeah. That's a great point. That's something we need to ask Mike and Brian. You know, that's what I really because one of the things when I watched it, I watched Avatar and then a little while later I watched Korra. And when I watched Korra, I really loved the time jump and I loved how, you know, the world building in these two series is just incredible. And I loved how the time jump had included such growth in all of these kind of. Technologies. We've got cars, we've got flying machines, we've got all sorts of stuff. And it's all terrific in a way that I found so interesting. And that's why when it kind of just this blimp here or whatever they call it, you know, a balloon rather, I was like, oh, this is the origin of all of those flying machines from Korra. That, I believe the Fire Nation takes this and uses it and builds off of it into something that is, because what really happens is like the population of the air is, like, so much more dense in the later series than here, you know? Yeah,
0: that's a great point. That's a great point. All right, well, let's hop in and get some, uh, just kind of stream through some of the action that happens right. and, and pop off of that. Dante, so where are we when we start the episode?
1: So we begin the episode with Team Avatar listening to a storyteller at what appears to be a sort of a stopping point for travelers going through the area, and he's telling the story about people who can fly, including the line, it might just not be a giant parrot, but a flying man. A great moment here where Aang does a very Homer Simpson move.
0: That's what I thought. Like, it really stands out because he's like... I laugh at gravity all the time. I imagine Homer Simpson's voice, actually. Like, I laugh at gravity all the time. <laughs> gravity. That's a good, that's a good like, point. that feels very Homer. I didn't me. realize
2: this show had... You did so many voices in this
0: show.
2: I, d- <laughs> I feel like so this show, not just, a, not just an episode-by-episode episode breakdown, but a real access... To, oh, like, no. all of your impressions, <laughs> all of your... And I urge you, if Janet Barney's coming through your town doing her Night of a Thousand Impressions, please go and see Janet's one-woman show where she does 400 impressions in 40 minutes.
1: The modern-day Richard, Rich you know, yeah. Richard, Richard Little. Yeah, oh, Richard God. Little. modern-day Richard Little. The best part is I don't... I clearly don't do voices. So so where are we? When a man's son comes around for tips for storytelling, Sock only has a couple of bugs and some lit in his pocket, and then a gold coin falls out of the hat... And Momo puts it back in, which I guess is just to show how honest they are.
0: I love that moment for exactly that reason.
1: Then everyone assumes that this old, mostly toothless man is talking about it a very long time ago when there were still airbenders. But then we find out the old man says he just saw these people last week in the sky. And then Aang's face gets filled with wonder.
0: Yeah, we cut to the gang up above the clouds. They're on Appa. They're going to this northern air temple. Aang drops this reference to the Sky Bison Polo Championship. Katara's worried. Did he think that what that guy was saying was true? Like, does he now expect there to be a bunch of airbenders when we've all been around all of our lives and know, like, there's no chance that there's some hidden airbender somewhere that no one else knows about, except for the storyteller. <laughs> like, that's unlikely. Ed Sokka's like, yeah, you know, why don't you go ahead and just let him have hope? Optimism is basically the same thing as lying, so go ahead and enjoy that. And sure enough, when they get up to where they can see the air temple, which is very much above the clouds and this very sort of... Picturesque thing. And as those of us who have the Art of Avatar book know, Brian did a snowboarding trip to Whistler-Blackcomb and has said that, like, that's sort of where he got oh, wow. the idea for what the Northern Air Temple would look like, which I always love, especially because he's such a traveler. Oh, wow. and, uh, and so I always love when you sort of find out, like, oh, this is a real life thing that inspired this particular rendition of something. And so we see these... What are they, people we don't know, kind of buzzing around the... Well, uh, they appear
2: to be people on airbender gliders, which right? is I mean, yeah. such a great... Yeah. What they do a, such a good job of is letting you get on board for Aang's false hope, what you know to be false hope, and what, what Katara and Sokka know is like, oh, this is not going to go well, maybe we should intercede here. And then when they get there, it's flipped because there are people circling the Northern Air Temple on would appear to be airbender gliders. And then you have this great moment, and they do such a good job framing faces for this show, where you get a full-on shot of Aang marveling at the people flying around the temple. Then, from behind him, Katara and Sokka come into frame, and they are now marveling. So they're like, oh my god, we were wrong. And then just as they have those look of wonderment on them that they're seeing airbenders, is when Aang switches and he realizes these aren't airbenders. These are, these people are faking it. They just are doing such great work, giving you access to the interiority of the characters and both setting them up and knocking them down in succession so that they are constantly not on the same page, but you are ahead of them and then you are catching up. And it's like, as a viewer, it's great. And they just are so good at bringing you along for the emotional ride of this story, not just the story, not just the plot mechanics of it, you know?
0: Absolutely. And keeping it a ride, right, where you do have these crust-fallen pits that then have to be swept up back by something. In this case, we have this kid in his own glider who kind of buzzes these guys in this sort of playful way, and Aang's heartbreak is sort of... Mitigated by the little kid in him as he's processing this information, he's still a kid, right? So, there is this kind of like you can't get me sort of moment that Teo, when Teo, we find out his name's Teo, buzzes by, and Aang sort of gets that look of determination, like, all right, it's on. And that takes us out of what is really like a gut punch moment, right? When he realizes right. they don't have quote unquote spirit and that's what he can see is lacking from their ability to fly, it cascades nicely into, all right, you know what? Maybe it's time that I just like do a little showing off. And so he does his whole bit where he's he's got his air ball. He's going around the side of the temple vertically or horizontally showing like clearly. He doesn't even need the glider.
1: Hey there, you're pretty good.
0: Yeah, I know. But I could do more than fancy gliding?
2: They do this like throughout the episode, this idea of, Aang having to kind of have his hopes, raise his hopes, and then have them dashed and have to work through it. They do it right here, as we're talking about, and they also do it when it's in regards to the vault that is closed off, and he thinks, well, this will be the only part of the temple that is preserved. Everything else has been, over the last hundred years, you know, mechanized. The The mechanist is using the temple In all these ways that Aang doesn't agree with or doesn't want or feels is messing with the purity of the place and how he remembers it. But okay, at least in the vault, inside of the vault, nothing can have changed. And then finally when they open the vault to reveal that it's all, you know, Fire Nation weapons that the Mechanist has been building. It's another raising of the stakes to just completely pull the rug out from under Aang. And it's heartbreaking. Again, you think we've seen this before. So you think, are we going to get another room full of avatars, essentially? like yeah. Again, is right. Aang going to have an opportunity to, to to communicate with his former selves? Or is that what the, where this episode is headed? Another opportunity for Aang to talk to somebody from his past or to learn from... Nope. Fire Nation weapons. Like, such a a, a bait and switch. That hit, was
1: hitting hit the gut. The, the earlier one, when the kids are flying and Tails flying, like, you know, part of me is like, get over it, Aang. I get they're not real like airbenders but I mean yo these dudes are flying all right they're yeah. still pretty cool stop tripping these dudes are flying that dude's in a wheelchair yeah. that's crazy and and Teo is like the nicest kid ever like he and totally he loves Aang he's so he's, like, yeah he, he so Aang. respects the avatar respects the avatar
2: he does a great caricature of him in the sky with like a right. smoke trail off of his glider yeah The kid
1: got skills in the sky, he got skills. I'm like, and you're tripping. I understand your people aren't around. These kids are flying for real, they're flying. But like you said, when he opens the air temple and you see the Fire Nation flag, and I'm Fire Nation, but I'm just saying, what's
0: worse than walking in and seeing the Fire Nation symbol around a bunch of very pointy, evil-looking weapons everywhere? We see pipes, like, just going into the face
2: of an avatar. Everything on the walls has been destroyed, all the art, and every time then they, and then they find a spot where Aang is, there's a statue, and Aang is like, at least this has been untouched, and then, like, a wrecking ball comes into frame and destroys it.
1: It's nice to see at least one part of the temple that isn't ruined. Look out!
2: (laughs) (laughs) They do a really good job because this really is the end of Aang's hope. They've already been to the other temple, and now they're here. But any hope that there are... People that Aang can feel like are his family or are his people, it's dwindling, and you can feel that in him, his struggle with that, and they haven't quite figured out that they are that family. They are those people. But
1: I think also when you're going around, you're seeing the the destruction of what was or the changing of what was into something new. You get the feeling of, like, these buzzwords right now, like gentrification, Mm. and these things are happening in the world, and you're going well, what happened to these neighborhoods? What happened to these buildings? And, you know, these are very gray questions. It's not black and white. Like, that's how the world works. Like, yeah, yeah the past is great. However, guess what? It has to change or it's going to die. And you're like looking at it going on this cartoon world. And then we find out later in the episode that even doing that is better than the complete destruction of everything. But I think it touches on what gentrification is no, and you're what's so happening. Right. And the pros and cons of what's going on. Especially
0: because it's not like it's the fired nation who has just come in and taken right. over, which would feel like the most, again, to your point, black and white version of that kind of gentrification, that sort of absorption of an older culture. But we have the conflict of, well, wait a minute, this guy's a refugee. His people were in terrible danger. This was the only place they had to go, and now they're just trying to make it work and to in some way make it their perception of better. So it's still,
1: so it's again, it, it's very gray. As far as everyone knows, that whole culture is gone. It's right. dead. There's no, I mean, we don't know there's a last airbender. Most people, like, there's no airbenders. Like, we're trying to keep this place pristine for who? For, oh, for if us I was a
2: refugee uh, from this war, I would immediately start trying to make my way to an airbender temple because I know it's empty. Right. And it's harder
0: for the Fire Nation to get to than some other places.
2: Well, they found a way. I'm sure you guys have been talking about it, but so many of these episodes are about refugees. So many of these episodes are about displaced peoples whose villages or homes or cities or cultures or anything have been literally wiped out by the Fire Nation and have sent them into the wilderness to wander. It's so interesting to me how much of the pop culture that we consume for young people is about the stakes of war. Mm. You know, it's really about life and death situations and how we exist inside of war. And that is fascinating for so many of these characters who are not powered, who aren't benders. They are truly just trying to do the best they can with what they have.
0: Absolutely. We've seen it in in past episodes like Jet, where we have... Even our three main kiddos who are met, sometimes very united in certain episodes and then sometimes torn apart, whether it's, you know, Aang being jealous and afraid in Bato or Katara being very taken by Jet and not trusting Sokka. And here's another situation. It doesn't play out as dramatically because the real conflict is outside of the three of them. But you have Sokka super excited about all of the inventions, right? And so he's not spending really any time worrying about Aang's feelings because he's in Candyland.
2: He's also not being, like, marginal in any way because he doesn't have bending capabilities, which a lot of times in the stories ends up happening to him. In this one, not only is he, like, taken in by the Mechanist, but he's, like, elevated. The Mechanist says about Sokka that he's a genius. This boy is a genius. They're kindred souls. Yeah. When has Sokka ever been, you know, mentored in this way or elevated in this way? And I think it's so important, especially this far into season one, to make sure that he just doesn't become a sidekick who is resentful or doesn't have powers or whatever, like it's so good that he has, he's got wins here. So much of his problem solving capabilities are what get them a victory.
0: You're absolutely right, Jason. It's like the way that when you're the smartest kid in the room in your group of friends, that feedback is going to feel familiar and it's just lower key because it's living inside the circle that you're in, that you're used to, that you're that's your family. And then when you go and you're having those the aha moments that actually do carry the group through, having that feedback from somebody who is clearly this great mind, whatever else you think about him, who has these amazing ideas, who is advancing technology to have that guy tell you oh by the way you're a genius like could that feel any better
2: no then you just follow your nose to the place where the smell is coming
1: from and plug up the hole where the gas is escaping you're You're a a genius.
2: genius and they do such a good job showing you that he is thriving there you know that they are you know like you said dante like like really kindred spirits like the dynamic between him and the mechanist is Unlike any connection we've seen him have so far, you know, like there are no in this episode jokes at his expense, which oftentimes there are.
1: But I mean, Sokka's a genius. Sokka, (laughs) we kind of know this as the show goes on, like he just he can't bend, but he's probably a low key funny genius. Yeah, he's a mind bender.
0: He's a mind and and idea bender, solution bender. Ooh, but Dante, bender Dante, what here. is Katara's like? What is her experience in this episode? Like, how does she fit into this episode? I mean, she gets
1: the in the glider, right? So she does conquer some of her fear. It's interesting. They kind of talk about the spirit, and about flying, and about airbending, which. It was very beautiful the scene of her kind of jumping and taking the you know the leap of faith into flying. She got it pretty quick. <laughs> There's things in the episode where things happen pretty quickly. I was like, oh my goodness, like she's flying really good, really fast right now, yeah. and no help, like no help. I. You know I, I went parachuting one time not by myself with a guy on my back and i would never do that without a guy on my back there's no way i would do that they're like you have to study a long time to do that because it's yeah. crazy yeah. but then i thought to myself yeah ang's not with her next to her on the glider yeah. she's just out there alone yeah and, I- and Mae whitman does such a great
0: job in that moment we're oh, all voice great. actors so we know how hard it is to act like you're falling when you're not falling and act like you're recovering yeah. and then act like you're exhilarated. I mean, you got to be in the moment to make that happen because she sells that. Her work in that moment is breathtaking because it, re- I felt so real.
1: Are you ready? No. <laughs>
2: I think so many of the performances, I think, in this series are incredible because they are careening between huge, you know, adventure, spectacle, epic storytelling, all the way down to such small interior emotional storytelling. And that's for every character has so much going on over the course of this series. And to be able to play all of those notes, to be able to play all of the pieces of Zuko of Katara, to be able to play not just the baddie mustache twirling—I mean, like, I mean, Iro alone is like—it's a masterpiece. Like masterpiece. this performance is a yeah. masterpiece. The episode where Iroh sings the song and he mourns his dead son is like. Oh. You know, top... Tells the bossing State. Uh, un- incredible. It's just one piece of that episode, yeah. and it's one of my favorite things on television ever.
1: Well, I also
0: love... You've made such a great point, Jason, about this episode in particular, but yes, having those internal monologues that, for a kids' show, it would be just as easy to imagine things being said out loud by the characters, but so often... Mike and Brian and the whole team, they know that the kids are still going to get it and they know that's what's going to carry us over through into adulthood being still able to enjoy this because they aren't making everything just flat on the screen very two dimensionally. Mm -hmm. We understand that when Aang sees Katara flying and understands that she's had this transportive experience and she has connected with her own spirit in this way that he actually says, I was wrong about Teo," because even though he can't fly. Right. He does have the spirit of an airbender, and that is a huge moment because that's what makes him realize I do want to share this inner sanctum of the inner temple with Teo because he does deserve to see it and he will get it. And we also have this great sequence with Sokka and the mechanist where they invent adding the odor of rotten eggs to natural gas, which of course is crucial later in the episode. But then when we get to when Aang opens that inner temple, this is a nightmare.
2: You don't understand.
0: You're making weapons for the Fire Nation.
2: Yeah. And it's a bummer. It's a super bummer. It's what's great about this show is that it's a constant series of expectations subverted and then learning through the acceptance and compromise of the new set of circumstances inside of your life, which is, frankly, how you grow up. And all of these kind of themes that are inside of this this show are so much a part of the life of the age that this show is geared towards, you know, which for me was a 40 something year old man when I watched it, right? <laughs> just like everybody else. I was talking once to to an agent of mine and we were talking about this, that and the other. And I was saying that I was obsessed with Avatar The Last Airbender. And she goes, oh, wait a minute. Hold on a second. And put her daughter on the phone with me. And was like, please, it. Will you, please, we t- talk to her because I don't, I'm not watching it. And so I don't know. And she is, and she just wants to talk about it. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. I and I talked to her it. daughter for like 20 minutes about oh, Avatar and Korra. Yes. And it was Great. a blast. Yes. It was so fun.
0: Ugh, I love that. So we know what the mechanists has been up to. And during this confrontation
1: we have a visitor. Out of nowhere, this Fire Nation dude pops out of the ground and like is like, make us give us weapons or not, and then no, and then he disappears and then the fight scene starts, but I'm like, Where did that dude come from? Where'd he go?
0: That's another thing that I mean, again, the roughest thing about this episode for me is Aang being this amazing beatific person in that moment and and just understanding that past is past and moving forward from it but the mechanist alerts
1: the fire nation i mean he's from the fire nation Mm. it it happens so quickly like what's going on when are they coming
2: soon very soon
0: you can't give them more weapons
2: if i don't give them what they want they will destroy this place
1: Okay, you're a full-on collaborator. I didn't even put two and two together that he was the one that called the— because I thought the Fire Nation got there awfully quick. No, he's that afraid of them. He's evolved into this person
0: who serves the Fire Nation fully, at least up until a certain
2: point. In order to protect protect his people at the Northern Air Temple. He's basically— Traded the safety of his people to the Fire Nation in exchange for he's building them all of these new weapons, all of these things that then the Fire Nation use against them. If we're gonna pick at the logic of it, I was like, how is he building and delivering weapons of this size and scale, and nobody else at the Northern Air Temple is noticing it? You (laughs) know, like it's one thing to keep it all in the vault, but like, what happens when they come to pick it all up? Is nobody (laughs) that (laughs) trap door? Everything loads into that freight elevator. Everything loads
0: into that freight elevator. And also, to your point, Jason, how does it feel when you're a child and you adore your parent and you haven't really seen until this moment, doesn't seem like you've seen a lot of downsides to the qualities of your parent, and then you find out that this person has been doing stuff that your new hero the avatar is crushed by and you had no idea and then he's like you must understand i did this for you i mean that is a heavy load on a kid's heart how can i be proud of you when your inventions
2: are being used for murder And it's a great performance by the actor who plays Teo to sell that kind of how ashamed he is of his father and how disappointed he is. His dad is a hero in his eyes. To just crestfallen, why would you think that you should do this? You don't do it for me. Now I'm part of it somehow. And now I'm wrapped up in this. I'm just trying to fly here.
0: And Teo, as you mentioned, was. Brilliantly portrayed by Daniel Simonis, and to your point, Dante Minister Kin pops up with his super raspy, super scary voice—just immediate villain voice. Fantastic, he leaned and on him hard too. He came in
1: hot and heavy.
2: You know better than to keep me waiting. Give me what you owe us, so I can be on my way.
1: But then he left real quick, too. It was gone quickly, too. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. trapdoor. He, he made a really good trapdoor elevator or something when the Fire Nation attacks in this episode and they come yeah. with some new machinery. Oh, no. These, that's some nasty I mean, business. Those,
2: now, do we? are we assuming that the mechanist built those tanks? I those am. Why not? Wait, I, No, like, we know
0: he did because Teo right? says, I know how those work. My dad yes. built those. It's There's yeah. a oh, yeah. counterbalancing and yeah. water. They and that's how water in them does or thing. something. Yeah. yeah. Those things were cool. I mean, they were scaling up the mountain. They reminded me of canyon crawlers in The Great Divide. They reminded me of those monsters. But again,
2: like world building, you know, continuing to introduce new versions of it's not just that the Fire Nation is scary because they control fire. Because primarily so far we've seen them on the water. You know, we've not seen them amass an army like this with machines like this, with all of this. We were on both. These capabilities, we know they have numbers. We know they have stuff like that. But, you know, when they show up with legions of soldiers and then the tanks, and then you're like,
1: oh, this... a, a wall crawling tank. Outside, Incredible! I became like a ten year old kid again watching cartoons, and I thought like, I want that, when's toy. that toy. When's that toy yeah, coming? I knew. Up? Yeah, that toy's got a, I know. I'm like, when's a commercial? I'm. Yeah. Gonna, I'm sure I'm gonna see a commercial for that thing very soon, <laughs> and I want that one. It goes both ways. It goes. You can it's go true. both sides, and it goes up the wall.
0: It's That's true. great. You're absolutely right. And I also love that they have four types of bombs, if memory serves. They have smoke bomb. Classic. But also fire bomb. Wait a minute. It's a Fire Nation. I guarantee you, your fire and smoke bombs probably aren't going to do much. Yeah. So then you're relying on your other two bombs, slime and stink, which is
2: like, I don't know. Well, I'm assuming slime is because that's a Nickelodeon requirement. If you have a show on Nickelodeon, you have to have slime. It's slime time. It can't believe it took
0: this many episodes for us to hear the words, we need more slime. Slime. It took yes. 17 episodes on Nickelodeon. That's restraint right there. We That's showing some serious more restraint.
2: Slime. This episode needed more slime. And this episode had a surprising lack of cabbages, I will say, yeah. which yeah. was a little heartbreaking. Those cabbages are not getting up there. Yeah, their weapons are, I mean, pretty ineffective, to be yeah. honest. You know, like they are really doing very little besides like disrupting the snow so that like causing a bit of an avalanche or something like that stink slime you know smoke bombs against an army that has like tanks wall crawlers <laughs> yeah, and I mean, firebenders it was, it was it was looking bad there for a minute
1: so Bosco how do they get themselves out of it first of all they have an Air Force that's really kind of cool like all of a sudden they got the hot air balloon they got the fire nation sign on so everyone thinks that the fire nation balloon is on the fire nation side yeah however, it's on the other side. And they realize there's a crack in the canyon, and they start to smell the rotten eggs.
2: It's basically the Earth's butt is farting up into the sky.
1: <laughs> they were going to light. They're going to torch it. And it is a big explosion. I mean, it works. However, after the smoke clears, our guy that was the trapdoor guy is all of a sudden by the fallen balloon. Yeah, that's true. And he Then he gives us like an ominous foreshadow report about what we can do. I don't know that we've had this ominous of,
0: like, fully ominous, maybe a little bit with the Blue Spirit, but this is a real moment of, there's something very dark happening at the end of this episode. Yeah. We are not leaving with them flying off into the sunset this
2: time. Our heroes don't know it, but this wasn't the victory that we might have thought it was. Traditionally, at the end of these episodes, the victory is pretty definitive, and we understand, and the heroes move on in in a way that especially season one is very kind of place-by-place, adventure-by-adventure. There's a much longer story being told here, and it's bad news for our heroes, but our heroes don't know it.
0: Absolutely. And meanwhile, we have this very tender moment where... I mean, I've hammered it into the ground at this point how forgiving Aang is. As he looks at the little hermit crab that Teo had originally shown him to kind of reassure him, like, hey, some things are still the same. Look, this is the same kind of little hermit crab. And so it's lovely because Teo's like, look, some of the old stuff still exists. But then Aang uses that metaphor to say, You know what? I'm really glad you guys all live here now. I realize it's like the hermit crab. Maybe you weren't born here, but you found this empty shell and made it your home. And now you protect each other. Again, Fire Nation weapons, not great, but he has this very forgiving moment. And I'm conflicted about
2: that. Well, I mean, so much of, I think, what what Aang's, you know, season one storyline is about is really acceptance and forgiveness well, yeah. and a lot of things that are tough for a kid that age to wrestle with. Yeah. You know, loss and grief, but then also Hope The growth for him is like, for example, in the episode just prior to this where he withholds the information of where Sokka and Katara's dad is because he's afraid if he gives it to them, they will abandon him and he'll be on his own. You know, there are episodes like that where you are really reminded because he's so powerful and because the show so often uses him as a way to illustrate how powerful a being he is. Yeah. They are also constantly showing you how young he is, how inexperienced right. he is, and yes. how his emotions are guiding him, not just a like palpable sense of what is right and what is the good thing. Like his uneasiness with being the avatar and his emotional immaturity is so significant. And that growth is such a part of this show, his yeah. emotional growth, not just can you become the best bender by the time the comic comes and blah, blah, blah? It's not just about plot. It's about emotional growth. His and that's, humanity.
0: His, holding exactly. on to his humanity even as totally. it becomes more powerful. And I will say, you're absolutely right. I agree with all of that, and I love that. And and I think what I'm conflicted about is it's my own sense of defensiveness for them and for Aang because he does the right thing. Because what else is this show all about, what else? right? Redemption. Mm-hmm. And he allows for that redemption of the Mechanist as he should because we are all deserving of redemption and in that moment when he says I've been very wrong, I didn't want to do this I feel terrible about it, I want to help you guys I want to help the Avatar, Aang accepts that and that's beautiful and that's a huge part of what exists in the show as well for other characters and so I think I'm like that older sister who's like well yes you're doing the right thing and you're forgiving but I don't know if I'm ready to forgive him yet because I'm still mad about what he did to your (laughs) airtime
2: The show is especially early on, like, such morality tales. Each new episode is a different kind of morality challenge to the group and blah, blah, blah. And what's really wonderful is that, like, the show is comfortable living in the gray, not needing to have characters who are just good or just bad. Right, yeah. Just continuing. And The Mechanist is an incredible example of this. Someone who each bit of discovery into them Gives you a more complicated understanding of who they are. Yeah. And that Aang is willing to come around to accept that all of these things are true, both the good and the bad. That's growth. That's understanding the actual world we live in, not a world full of heroes and villains, but a world full of people who have to make hard decisions for the people they love, to protect the people they love. They make decisions that are morally or ethically corrupt, you know? Right. And because they feel they have to. Yeah, it's it, it, the show. I mean, come on, guys. It's so, <laughs> okay, so good. You know, we're like, convinced we're like, convinced listen, we're like, the listen show's good. like, yeah, we're yes, loosely Jason, convinced. You guys right, like, should the do a good, podcast. We're We're
0: thinking about it. We're thinking about it. <laughs> Northern air temple dwellers, are you looking for a fun and unusual birthday gift? Or a unique way of proposing to your metaphorical turtle duck? Consider using Teo's stupendous skywriting. From inside jokes to startlingly good caricatures, we can work with all your sky messaging needs. Teo's stupendous skywriting, where the sky isn't the limit. So before we wrap up all together on this episode, let's talk about what we think may be the most valuable. Which
2: I could talk about for hours. <laughs> I, know, I uh, know. Yes. Like I could spend Believe hours Believe me, we show no
0: signs of stopping. We're just trying to be oh, yeah. respectful of your time. There is really? a lot more. But 100%. I mean, there's uh, there's some bending in this episode. I'm sure we'll all agree there is a lot of non-bending that's very valuable that happens in this episode. What about bending in this episode? Most valuable bending in this episode?
2: Well, the most valuable bending, I think, moment happens when Teo gives Katara the information that there's water inside the tanks Mm. and that Katara can then use her water bending abilities against the tanks.
1: Those things are unstoppable! I think I know how they work. I remember my dad tinkering with a counterbalancing system. Something to do with water. Works great, huh? Water? Can you get me close to one?
2: No problem. And what's great about it is it's not Katara alone, a bender, being able to do a thing. It's the teamwork of he, a non-bender, who might have, you know, the spirit of bending or he would be my choice for non-bending. A moment of the episode is his level of airbender adjacency, you Uh, know, that Aang says he has the spirit of a bender, but he definitively he is not a bender. But the combination of him saying that to Katara and her being able to immediately jump into action and use that information to turn the tide of the attack or the battle is... For me, the MVB.
0: Oh, that's a great combo. And I will say also about like Teo because we haven't really touched on this, but Teo can't walk. And I think having that representation of somebody who doesn't have that particular type of mobility and yet how badass he is and how wonderful he is and how uh, incredibly important he is to this episode is lovely. It's lovely to have that representation there. Of course, we see things like that happening in future episodes and future seasons with people like Toph. Always nice to see different kinds of people represented with different types of abilities. That is lovely, and I don't want to gloss over that. So I love that you brought that up.
1: And I like how they represented
2: it. They didn't overly Yeah. Oh yeah. It didn't they didn't make it about his not being able to walk. Yeah. You know. But he is unquestionably in the first 17 episodes of the show, the second best flyer we've seen besides Aang. That's a great point. I love that. There's nobody who can match Aang. Even Aang is impressed by his flying, and we come to find that he can't walk because of... The injuries he sustained in the Fire Nation's attack on his... We get
1: it. The Fire Nation did a lot of things. <laughs> Listen, Listen,
2: Fire Nation, bad. He always um... comes to
1: a point where he feels overwhelmed. All this <laughs> displacement was not the reason why we attacked. It just those things happened after we attacked.
2: But uh, they do a great job of really of giving him such a like beautiful story inside of, like, a deeply complex moral story, you know?
1: I was also thinking, I mean, Sokka gets the non-bending, most valuable moment all the time. There's so many non-bending things that happened. It was like Einstein talking to Thomas Edison in Uh this episode, and then (laughs) the rest of the world happened. Now we have electricity? Yeah. Because if those two met in the Northern Air Temple, and then all of a sudden they made gas, and airplanes and stuff it's true that Sokka
0: either gets it or in this case certainly gets a serious honorable mention oh yeah and I will say from a very petty perspective and this is very petty indeed honorable mention bending moment we didn't talk about it but there is a moment where Aang basically air slaps Minister Kin in the face <laughs> like when oh, there is when they're in that chamber he, 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 he does slaps him oh, all it is is yeah. an air slap to the face with, with the pole right it just, is, like, just yeah. like an air slap yeah. oh, and funny. it is a slap yeah. in the face and I was ve- again very petty not the most valuable but that's honorable funny. mention for just a moment of like yes he <laughs> definitely slapped him in <into> the face <laughs> and that was pretty great
1: get out of here <clears throat>
2: That's great. I like that.
0: <laughs> All right. Jason Manzukas
2: please yes. tell us,
0: what kind of bender would you be?
2: What kind of bender would I be? That's a good question. We wonder. We wonder.
0: I like this because sometimes I think other people would say, from the outside, I think this person would be this. But on the inside, sometimes you realize you're a different kind of bender. Just saying.
2: Right, 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 right. So, Do you guys, what do you think you are? I'm curious. Do you talk Patience. in previous episodes? Well, Fire. Dante, of course you're Fire Nation. I mean, <laughs> oh, you are just—I mean, you've spent this entire episode it's so <laughs> aggressive. JV, what I've been do you think? given
0: the pass because I got to do. I very luckily happened oh. to get the privilege of, play, of yeah, playing an avatar, so yes. yeah. so that's I get true. the pass of that. But I've often said that while I think, in some ways internally, I'm a waterbender, I also feel like in many ways my personality is that of an of earthbender. So there's like an I, I inner w- and outer think, thing happening I was there. thinking
2: about it too, and I think the same. I think my inner self is an earthbender. Grounded, you know, rooted to the ground. That seems to connect more with me when I think about it. If I l- allowed myself the flight of fancy, I would want to be an airbender. Yeah. You know what I mean? That seems very aspirationally exciting to watch right. Aang do what yes. he does. Yes. But I think if I'm honest with myself, I'm a tough.
0: Yeah, you know, I like, got it. Yeah. I feel it so hard. I'm a Miranda and
2: I'm a top. That's I feel what we're doing. So hard. That's what we're working with.
0: 100%. I feel it. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> and then, what about ships? Any- what do, you about
1: you? do you enter the shipping world at all?
2: I, you know what? I don't really. I don't enter the shipping world. Like, so who are the ships from this show?
1: I mean, the canon one everyone knows Katara ends up with Aang, and that's called Katang. right. Yes, there's a big Zutara.
2: Well, that's one that I like. I like the dynamic when Zuko comes into the group. Yes. And so to me, the combination of Zuko and Katara and I like that yeah. storyline almost as if Hermione fell for Draco Malfoy. Yeah. Like oh yeah, that, great comparison. Yeah. Exactly. I would like that. I don't know. I don't I'm trying to think of a ship. This is where not being on social media and not engaging with fandom in that way. I'm out on all this. Like I've only processed this show in as much as I watched it a bunch, you know, either all the way through or just and I'll just cherry pick episodes while I'm making dinner, folding laundry, all the kind of things that for the last two years I've been stuck in my house just watching and rewatching. Stuff that I love. Really participating in my fandom in a way that is, like, indulgent and kind of wonderful.
0: I love that.
2: We've all had a little
1: more extra time to be indulgent. I like that.
2: That's right. And this is definitely a show to feel proud about doing that. So rewarding. I watched all of Airbender and Korra at the beginning of the pandemic. And now that I just rewatched most of season one, I don't know. I might just go and watch the rest of Avatar. Yeah. And then at some point, I'll probably start and redo Korra. And this is absolutely top of the the mountain, you know, Northern Air Temple level content, Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. uh, Hey, thank you so much.
0: Well, we can't promise that we won't drag you back in for season two, so this is a a pleasure and a joy. I
2: I, I would love to. Put me in every season. Uh, There's always something to talk about.
0: Where can people find
2: you? You know what? I'm not on any social media, so you can't find me that way, but if if you're interested, I'm one of the co-hosts of the How Did This Get Made podcast, which I just mentioned, which is like a Bad movies, uh, we talk about it. And then, as you mentioned at the top of the show, Star Trek Prodigy, which is, if you like Avatar The Last Airbender, Star Trek Prodigy is going to be a show that I think you're going to love. It is cut from the same cloth, but in the Star Trek universe. It is also a Nickelodeon show. It's on Paramount+. Plus. It is, you know, Captain Janeway. Kate Mulgrew's character is, you know, the captain of, like, a team of, like, young kid adventurers who steal... Uh, a starship and just go on adventures and so it's it has a lot of spiritual kinship with avatar or with rebels or with other shows that we like inside of this world if you are listening to this show and you love avatar give star trek prodigy a, a chance i think you'll dig it and the animation is absolutely gorgeous and then of course big mouth new season of big mouth coming out i don't know if it's appropriate for your audience and all of your audience <laughs> but maybe hey I'm going to throw it out there
0: maybe not all of it but you're right to throw it out there you're right to throw it out there alright everybody we'll talk to you next time on Bravey the Elements next week we'll be going over some science in the Avatarverse with our friend the inimitable brilliant Adam Savage follow us on social media I'm at Janet Varney on Twitter at the JV Club on Instagram you are at Dante Bosco basically everywhere Everywhere
1: right? except for on TikTok at Dante we'll see everybody next Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.